Hey everyone, welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope everybody had a good weekend. A lot of things took place over the weekend. I'll be getting into everything throughout the week. Um, you know, we saw some upsets. We saw some good college basketball hoops. Unexpected turn in the college football playoffs uh, in terms of a team that did have a chance. Um, but lost <laughs> in a really tough fashion um, and making the conference championship game a little bit more harder. I'll get into that team a little bit later. Um, but overall, good week. We saw some good action. The NFL games. Um, it all week 14 you know, caps off tonight with the Baltimore Ravens, the Cleveland Browns. Should be a good game. So a lot to get into this week. And the game and the thing that I'll start with this week is the game between LSU and Florida this past Saturday. Florida ranked number six in the country. One loss on the season only. Had been playing well um, last, I will say, four to five weeks. And had put themselves in a position to possibly have a run at the college football playoffs. And I had came on... I think the previous week talking about, you know, Florida clinching their spot in the SEC championship game, and they're all set to take on Alabama, and this is their shot to make things interesting in the college football playoffs. And little did I know that there was a game before that, both teams had a game before that, a week before that championship game, and boy did Florida disappoint so badly <laughs> that... I have to talk about it because I was really annoyed by whatever happened. I knew LSU was having a bad season. They weren't playing well. A lot of talent turnover on that team. But I did not think they were going to be able to pull off the offset. And the way they pulled it off was very surprising. And Florida Gator fans are not going to be happy about this for a, for a while, I would think. So I'll get into that a little bit now. So LSU, obviously throughout this season has been uh, shuffling through quarterbacks, trying to play, could be at the hardest level. I got a huge upset on the road here at Florida, winning 37-34. And, you know, Florida was the favorite in this game. They were expected to win. But we know that every time there's a, you know, a game like this, between two schools that are very familiar with each other, they, they can happen. And the biggest thing that people probably uh, didn't realize about Florida is that they really hadn't played LSU in terms of... LSU offensively um, could challenge their secondary much better because they have more skilled wide receivers um, than most teams do. And throughout the season, Florida had won a lot of games. Yes, competitive fashion. But LSU had been playing well and hard for the last couple of weeks. And there's a lot to talk about you know, LSU in terms of the program, how they were doing this season. So they were motivated by you know, what was being said about them this year. And so I think Florida took them very lightly. And they didn't think that their wide receivers, their team... With a freshman quarterback who was making his first start, I believe, or second start maybe, could pull it, could pull it off. 
And boy was Florida wrong about that. Now Florida beat themselves in this game, and that's pretty much the story of the game. They beat themselves. So it was a foggy weather, and you know there was, you know it was close back and forth kind of throughout the game. I really think that you know Kyler Trask had his first kind of you know okayish kind of game. He did struggle, even though he had 474 yard um, passing yards. He had two touchdowns, two interceptions, and those interceptions is what really I think um, put them in a, in a tough spot. But then again, Kyler Trask didn't respond well enough in this game later on uh, to give them a chance to tie the game. So yeah, second half game was back and forth. You have to give LSU credit for fighting um, all game long because you know they could have easily you know let Florida kind of get ahead and. And stay ahead, but they kept on challenging Florida and their cornerbacks. They kept on trying to find ways to get their offense going. And um, you know, big credit to you know LSU's um, freshman quarterback Max Johnson. I think I believe his name is Max Johnson. Um, had three touchdowns, no turnovers in this game. He was very efficient all game long. Uh, made some plays down the field. LSU's wide receivers had some big games. A well-balanced attack in terms of spreading the ball out, getting hitting different targets at different points in the game. You never felt like like Florida was going to go away in this game. They had the lead early. They attacked Florida down the field. They were aggressive, and a lot of teams have shied away from being aggressive against Florida past couple of weeks. LSU was all at it. Ed Horderon coached a great game. He wanted to get this program, um, you know, they want to get this big win, show that they still have something left in this season, and they did a good job. I mean, they really played well on defense early on to give their offense a chance. And I would say that the game kind of turned when you know LSU. And Florida were tied at 34, I believe. And it was a costly penalty by Marco Wilson. So I think it was tied 34, under two minutes to go. Um, you know, it was third down and 10, I believe. And, you know, Florida made a stop on defense. They made a stop on defense, which means they were giving the ball back to Kyler Trask, who under two minutes left in the game to go ahead and you know drive down the field and get the game-winning score. Instead, on that third down play, you know, LSU's defender, Marco Wilson, made a tackle. What he ended up doing after the play was really a big blow. And I don't know why he did it. He the moment. You know, he's excited probably. But boy, when that happens, when you get excited in the heat of the moment and you do something, like throw, you throw somebody's shoe down the field. That's what he did. Now, the penalty was... An interesting one. Did I agree with the penalty when I saw it initially? I was like, come on. Let's just let, let them have the emotion and a plane and making a big stop. Um, but the fact is that he made the tackle and he ripped the shoe off or the shoe came off or something of an LSU uh, player and he threw it like 30 or 40 yards down the field. And it might be silly to a lot of people, but believe it or not, in the heat of the moment, you make a play to get off the field. 
There's no need to celebrate or toss somebody's shoe down the field because it's still within the play of the field. I mean, you're still in a situation of football game where you gotta be smart. And that was an unsportsmanlike penalty called on Marco Wilson, which extended LSU's drive. And LSU was able to run the ball a couple of times, get the ball in position, and make a play. They were able to make some plays with the running game, um, put their kicker in a spot to make a field goal attempt. It was a 57-yard field goal, and for most college kickers, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, but got to give credit to this kicker. I think his name is Cade York. I'm trying to get the name here correctly. Um, you know, sorry, not, not Cade York. I'm sorry. Um, Evan McPherson is a kicker for Florida. Or maybe I'm flip-flopping again. Yeah, it was Cade York with, with the game-winning penalty, uh, game-winning field goal for LSU, and Evan McPherson for Florida um, had a chance, you know. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm tired a little bit here, but these kickers are pretty interesting. But it was Evan, sorry, it was Evan McPherson for LSU who kicked the game-winning field goal. Florida had a chance at the end to tie the game. Kyle Trask made some plays down the field. They were in position to make the field goal attempt, but it was missed. And so LSU lost. Uh, sorry, Florida lost in a pretty, uh, in a heartbreaking fashion. They were in position to tie this game. That kicker for Florida could have easily made that field goal, but he, he hooked it just left. And yeah, uh, Florida dropped to eight and two on the season now. And now all of a sudden the game against against Alabama isn't as meaningful as it was it would have been if they had ended up winning the game. Their college football playoff hopes are over in my mind. Even if they were to beat Alabama somehow, which may not even happen even to be honest, uh, Alabama with their strength of schedule, with their margin of victories, there's no way you can leave Alabama out regardless of how they perform um, in the in the you know in the SEC championship game, so you know Florida missed a great opportunity uh, to make something happen. A costly penalty by Marco Wilson, a young guy. You know he probably you know regretted doing it at that moment of time. If he had just gotten off the field, not thrown the football player shoe down the field, uh, maybe Florida would have been able to get some kind of you know game-winning field goal themselves. But they were in a tough spot. The timeout situation was kind of mismanaged by both both teams, to be honest. I think Florida should have really called some uh, timeouts early on. But then again, they were in position to tie the game, um, and they didn't come through. But I think overall, the you know, looking at this game and how it, how it all played out, I mean, Florida just turned the ball over, didn't have good rhythm at times. Um, I expected more from Kyler Trask, although he did put them in a game-winning spot, or a you know, game-time spot. Um, but LSU's uh, with a huge win for their season. Um, they obviously have been, uh, you know, taken out by a lot, of, you know, a lot of teams this season. But they played hard, competed well. And I look at the game now between Alabama and um, Florida in the SEC championship game. I really think Alabama's just going to, you know, 
roll over them, to be honest. I mean, it could be an interesting game, but I just don't see Alabama dropping out of the college football playoffs, regardless of how they perform against the Florida Gators. And for Florida, I mean, I don't know if Kyle Trask will be back next season. He probably can be back, but this team did have a talent. They were in situation football. Um, I really hope they get a chance to, you know, have, have a good bowl game maybe. Um, but, man, did their college football playoffs take a big hit. And, you know, they are much better in terms of, of, of a program than they were a couple of years ago. So maybe they will be better from this going forward. But it's all about the talent that they get and recruit um, in the year to come. But I think overall, um, in terms of the college football landscape, Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame and Clemson, those are the teams um, to really watch out for. I believe in Clemson, I think they're going to bounce back against Notre Dame. And I don't think you can put Florida with two losses over at Clemson. Even, even if Clemson loses, I don't think you can put Clemson over. You can't put Florida over Clemson. So I fully believe they will be Alabama, Notre Dame, um, you know, Ohio State. I think those teams will be in position, you know. You got four of the best teams in college football and, you know, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. I think these teams will deliver um, in terms of the matchups and stuff. I'm not really sure yet how that will work out, but the college football rankings are supposed to come out, I think, within a week or so. So, you know, overall across college football, you know, Miami also lost their number 11 ranked team. And so, even the Pac-12 looking better, um, but their chances are pretty slim as well. So, overall, I think the team that only has a shot to a case maybe now is a Texas A&M who is on the outside looking in. And they are probably hoping to have a chance um, when the committee gets together next, next week to decide the rankings and everything. But I can't wait to see... Clemson and Notre Dame's rematch. I think the ACC championship game is now the game next week to watch um, because those are two heavyweights that they could possibly see each other again um, in the playoffs, possibly. Um, but this is a chance for Trevor Lawrence and, and Clemson to remind um, Notre Dame and rest of the rest of the country that they are a force to be reckoned with if they are able to enter the college football playoffs and draw the matchup either Alabama um, or Notre Dame again. So should be interesting to watch and I can't wait to break down those games and those you know, other, other action from college football in the coming week. Sarah Fuller continues to make history. She scored the first, I think, PAT kick or field goal kick in a Power 5 game. So a lot of good things have happened in college, college football. Obviously, we hope that, you know, a lot of cases and stuff are kind of go down, you know, in terms of everywhere around the world, especially college football. As some some teams have already kind of opted out of the bowl season, but the teams that are playing for the bowl games, uh, I hope they are able to play um, and you know at least finish their season strong and have something something good to feel about at the end of the season.
So in this segment, I want to get into NBA preseason action that started on December 11, and it's going to be running through December 19. It's going to cover some of the games that took place in these past two, two to three days. Kind of offer some perspective and analysis on what I what I saw and what it means for the upcoming NBA season, which will tip off on December 22. Looking forward to that. Uh, got Brooklyn versus um, Golden State. And you got the Battle of LA, Clippers, Lakers. And so it should be pretty, uh, pretty fun to watch. And it'll be good to see all the teams get back and have a season. So there were some uh, notable preseason games. Of course, new faces, new teammates. Um, you know, more of an environment now where all teams are playing at, uh, you know, each other's arena. No fans yet, but we are seeing now, you know, some of the local TV um, outlets and, you know, networks there get their chance to start broadcasting and start having these games. And so very important, the NBA keeps the testing protocols going uh, as these guys are playing and um, getting themselves acclimated before the NBA season starts. So one of the games that took place in the past uh, two, three days was a matchup between the Houston Rockets and Chicago Bulls. And we know that Houston has been dealing with a lot of turnover on their roster. The situation with James Harden is hovering over this team, this franchise. And, you know, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins made their individual debuts. And John Wall, after a year, uh, you know, rehabbing with Achilles and uh, shoulder and whatever he, I think he did have. I believe, I believe it was his Achilles. Uh, John Wall had 13 points in his return. 6 of 10 shooting. DeMarcus Cousins, also coming back from injury. You know, 5 of 7, five of seven for 14 points. Uh, he made a bunch of three-pointers, actually, which he has been able to do well so far in his career. So these two, obviously, you know, Kentucky teammates, um, you know, brought over by Houston. Um, you know, we know that Westbrook to Detroit and Wall to Houston. And Houston has tried to put together a team, a roster that can potentially compete this year in the Western Conference, but when you look at Houston overall, outside of Wall and Cousins and maybe Christian Wood, uh, most of the players are exactly the same on this team. And so James Harden is still, uh, and this is reported, uh, James Harden is still having the same stance that he had before. He wants to move, he wants to be traded to a contending team with a chance at the championship, and he does not believe Houston is that. And I've talked about Houston as a team, with Steven Silas, um, what he's trying to do. I mean, Harden at this point still has two years on his contract. Um, it's very, very interesting. I, I cannot see James Harden missing games, and he is expected to practice later this week. But whatever has been speculated or reported in the media the last couple of days, 
you really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, does James Harden really think that John Wall isn't going to be good for them this season? Or does he not view him as somebody that he can play with and have a championship with? That's the question that only James Harden and his play, if he does end up playing this year for the Houston Rockets, will be determined. But I can't see him missing game checks. I can't see him missing time. He is trying to get back on the court, obviously. And so, you know, what's going to happen with James Harden is the question. But, I mean, coming back to the game for a second. So, the Rockets won 125-104. to You know, both John Wall and the Rockets' cousins playing together in Kentucky. Um, they do have some familiarity. They look decent together. And I think Harden should at least consider looking at these guys a little more closely. It is one game and it is preseason action. But, you know, John Wall and the Marcus Cousins are trying to, you know, resurrect their careers. And maybe Harden is at a point, obviously, where he wants to win a championship because he knows he's one of the best players in the world or one of the, one of the best players in the world, the top five at least, top six maybe. And so he's trying to win a championship in his prime. So, you know, his thinking is, you know, I want to win with the guys who are proven accomplished. I want to go somewhere where I can win right now. And the most important thing is to see if James Harden will give them consideration. Will he give Steven Silas the ability to coach him? I don't know if that's going to happen or not based on what we've been hearing. The biggest problem that Houston has is their depth and size. It may not be as strong as the other teams in the Western Conference. And I think that's what James Harden is probably looking at. The Rockets' depth and size isn't where it's supposed to be. They are rebuilding. There's no question about that. But they've tried to put in pieces like like John Wall, Christian Wood, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, trying to make something happen with this roster in the, in the short term. But we know they're trying to get under the cap. They're trying to make something happen with their assets. And they're asking for a huge price for James Harden. And no team has come forward yet to make that happen. So until they do that... It's going to be the same thing. Now for Chicago, I talked about some of their young players and Billy Donovan. Um, a promising game for some some guys on this team, but you know it's going to take time take time for this this roster to buy it to Billy Donovan and his coaching style. Wendell Carter Jr. and Colby White are two players on Chicago. They they don't step up this year. They don't make something happen this year to the individual progress and development with Billy Donovan and that coaching staff. Then those two players may not be part of the Bulls' future. And so that's something that these two guys have to play better. They got to shoot better. And it's only one game, but they got to keep on getting better um, by the time the season rolls around. Because Chicago has the ability to be a good team. They just have to get back to winning habits. Um, which is hard for a lot of teams right now. You know, the Knicks, for example. So, getting back to winning habits is the key. And I got to see that um, for the Knicks in itself. But R.J. Barrett did look good. And, you know, Obi Toppin looked pretty pretty decent as well. So, you know, overall, back to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they need to show improvement um, and show it this season. Um, from a player perspective, you gotta see guys step up and 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 rise to their potential and make the drifts the, the draft picks, make the Bulls' investment 
and um, worthwhile. Now, there was also another game that took place, uh, which is pretty interesting, was uh, Sacramento and, and Portland. And Portland, obviously, looking at their roster, they really didn't change much in that roster. Um, they re-signed Carmelo Anthony, which was happy to see Carmelo Anthony re-sign. I wish he had actually gone to the Lakers or another team with a chance to win a championship. I actually want him to go to the Lakers. I'll be honest with that. I want him to go to the Lakers, but they can't have them all. And, you know, I look at Carmelo Anthony and the kind of year that he had with Portland. I mean, he's back in the NBA. It's good to see him back in the NBA. And, you know, Portland's got a lot of work to do in terms of um, games, you know, like in terms of getting back to the uh, playoffs, but being able to execute. And CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard both have to um, find a way to keep playing well together, but also to win the games that matter. They had a chance, but, you know, we knew the better team was the Lakers all around. And it just comes down to how well does this does this team um, you know, change their roster. I mean, is Carmelo Anthony really going to be back to playing the way he used to play? That's what I'm looking, looking to see is that, you know, he's had a full off season now with the Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know, can he be consistent down the stretch? Can he be consistent day and night out for the Portland Trailblazers? Because they're going to need him to be that way in order to win and win in the crucial moments, I believe. As good as Damon Lillard is, as good as CJ McCollum is, the outside shooting for Portland remains an issue. And I can't really say much about their shooting right now because I haven't seen their whole roster, but. I will say this, you know, them being able to have, um, you know, Nurchik uh, and, and Enos Kander coming back is actually a big deal for their for their size. Enos Kander coming back to them is a, is a big deal. I think he's definitely going to help them in the front court a lot more. Um, and those two have to be good inside in terms of getting the rebounds and be more physical, which is what they struggled with against the Lakers in the bubble. As for the Sacramento Kings, Buddy Heald, you know, had 23 points. Carmelo, uh, sorry, Carmelo had 21. Backtrack a little bit. So for the Kings side of things, I did think that this year, Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, they had to keep the momentum going. They had this past season. De'Aaron Fox was paid a lot of money. He's got to step up and, and he's getting to the next level for Sacramento to compete for the eighth spot in the Western Conference and remain relevant in the picture. Tyrese Halberton, their top pick in the draft, is somebody to keep an eye on. I think he can be a great player for the Kings over time. Um, the Knicks could have went for him. I wish they did, but, but then again, at this point, we already have so many guards on the team. And for, and for Sacramento, they need guys who can play good defense, can stretch the floor. And Tyrese Halliburton could be somebody, if he gets the right coaching by Luke Walton this year, that they will be able to make something happen. Speaking of Luke Walton, I think he's under pressure this year. Um, he's got a lot of things to work with, obviously. 
Um, but he's got to step up and get this team to play at a high level, coach them at a high level, because um, his job may depend on it. And you know he has the experience, obviously, with the Lakers and being the interim head coach for the uh, you know Golden State Warriors. So he has to get it done. Um, I think that if he can just find a way to get this roster to play well, to find the moving parts, make everybody you know get good chemistry and good relationships as well, I think they will be in a good spot um, in the Western Conference. Can they pass the, the Phoenix Suns? Maybe not, but they could definitely challenge for for that spot. Maybe if they play well enough um, consistently, which is the biggest issue that the Kings have had over the years is not being consistent enough in terms of their ability to win and they gotta start winning games at a consistent basis which is obviously not an easy task but they have some good talent on this team and they gotta make it happen at least try to compete for that in, in that you know in-season in-play tournament that will be happening this year in the NBA now one of the most uh, interesting and uh, puzzling games that I thought took place this weekend was the Washington Wizards at the Brooklyn Nets. Puzzling from this side uh, point of view that, you know, I wish Bradley Beal and Westbrook had played. I don't know why they did not play, to be honest. Would have been a good thing to see them in action together. But I guess, you know, we got to wait for that, obviously. Um, but they should have played that game, you know, because, you know, you're going up against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both made their returns to the court. First time as Brooklyn teammates. And a lot of them talked about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So many things have been reported about Kevin Durant, about, you know, will he be back, be back to form? Kyrie Irving's puzzling kind of comments, backtracking saying this saying that well he's a great guy we know what, what he does um but you know he was being portrayed you know portrayed as a uh portrayed as a you know kind of guy who's like you know not valuing the media and all those kind of things there's been a lot of things reported over Kyrie Irving the last week or so um but I want to focus on his return to the basketball court um you know he did end up playing a decent amount of time in this game I think he ended up having a total of 18 points, I believe. Uh, seven of nine shooting. He was doing his step back jumpers and you know showing his handles, which he always does. Uh, Kevin Durant coming back from the Achilles, not too bad. 24 minutes of action, five of 12 shooting, 15 points. He will take some time to get back into into his defensive form for sure. Um, but both guys flash potential to, you know, with each other. You saw Kyrie had a nice pass to him, and uh, overall Durant obviously can pull up from anywhere, we know that, and so he was able to do that quite a bit against the Washington Wizards, which they beat, by the way, 119-114. to 114. So encouraging to see these two guys get back on the court and play. Um, remains to be seen how well these two will play together when the games actually get going for real in the NBA season. Um, we know what Kevin Durant and Kyrie bring to the table. We're going to find out what the other Brooklyn Nets players bring to the table, playing along with them. The Nets last year played so well um, in the post in, in the bubble against Toronto. Um, 
and you want to see if their development and their level of play will go up with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's expected to be that way. We're going to see what happens overall. Steve Nash, um, obviously working with a great coaching staff. He's going to be calling the shots and working with this roster. They have plenty of pieces, uh, plenty of moving parts they can adjust. And so a good start for Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Um, Kyrie did end up actually talking to the media today and, you know, kind of explaining his thoughts and comments, which I appreciate Kyrie for doing that. Um, but, let, you know, let's see him put, you know, let's see him uh, do it consistently over the year. I want to see if he can keep trying to, you know, work his way back and towards being, being you know, he's come back from shoulder, shoulder surgery. And so he did show some good form yesterday, but we got to see over time how Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's health is. These two guys must be on the top of their game um, because the Nets depend on their success this year. Can they challenge for the East? Nobody knows yet, really to say, but it all comes down to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving getting it going. And yesterday, you know, the game they played against Washington was an okay start, but there'll be plenty more games that are going to take place. And we're going to see some tough decisions probably from Steve Nash. A lot of things to work in terms of this roster. I don't view the Nets right now as a team that can can win the championship this year. Is it possible? Maybe. But there's just too many good teams in the Western Conference that can stand the way of the title. The Lakers obviously would love to face, <laughs> I think, the Brooklyn Nets. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Preseason action. The Nets showed something and we're going to see how this, this duo of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant do throughout the NBA season. As for the Washington Wizards, outside of Bradley Beal and Westbrook and Bertans, this team can compete for the Eastern Conference 8th spot, ninth spot maybe. I really don't know what, what, what they're going to really do to be honest with these two guys. They too have to, Westbrook and Beal both have to play well with each other. That's the only thing they have going against an uh, Eastern Conference opponent. If those two are dynamic and scoring and, and playing well off each other, the Wizards will be able to make some things happen um, this season. But in terms of their roster and their talent, I don't know, don't know about the other players on this team. I just know that you know Bradley Beal, you know, wanted some kind of change to this roster. He got it in Westbrook. It remains to be seen how well do they do together. Because um, we know Westbrook can be a ball-dominant player. And, you know, Beal also likes having the ball in his hands. So we'll see if they can get along and play well. Um, because I think Scott Brooks definitely is hoping on that um, this season. There is one player on the Wizards that I am interested in, and that is their top draft pick number nine pick in the draft, Denny Advedija. Uh, shooting forward, I talked about him a while back. He played well in this game against the Nets. You know, had, I think, 15 points, six of six shooting. He has the potential to be a good player for the Wizards uh, over time. It all de depends on how this roster is shaped in the coming year. But if Denny Advedija can get more development, more shots on the outside. With playing with Bradley Beal and Westbrook, then he may be able to turn into a star earlier than we had anticipated. 
seen him being a star. And I'll end with this uh, this last recap. Uh, Orlando and the Atlanta Hawks. Now the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Hawks did beat the Orlando Magic 116 to 107. The Magic, you know, last year were able to make the postseason, if I remember correctly. I think they did. And they played well. Very young group with Markel Fultz, Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, they do got some nice guys there. And, you know, Nikola Vujicic. You know, so key is can Orlando kind of keep this duo going to get in the right direction. They do have some nice pieces overall. Um, Cole Anthony, I talked about him being an underrated guy um, in the NBA draft this year, and I think he is a big deal for the Orlando Magic. Um, at 16 points, um, and he is someone to keep an eye on that could be a star player for Orlando and play their point guard position. Maybe better than Markel Fultz, although Markel Fultz has improved his shooting. Um, and if he continues to shoot well, then Cole Anthony may be a good bench option for Orlando. We're going to see if they can uh, have success they had like, like, like last year. Because the Eastern Conference is you know, a little bit more diverse. Some talent is finally in the East, but not as strong as the Western Conference. So we'll see. I think Orlando obviously has done well to this point in terms of trying to develop a young team, a roster that can compete. And I wouldn't be surprised if they are in the middle of the 8th seed uh, competition next year as well. Now, in terms of the Hawks, very impressive debuts for Dylan Nilgarnari and Bogdan Bogdanovich. They both had 17 and 18 points each. Uh, very important this season for the Atlanta Hawks for John Collins and Clint Capella to play well inside. Trey Young, obviously, the future and the star of this team. Uh, with DeAndre Hunter, uh, their small four they drafted. Um, he had 15 points um, in this game. And so Atlanta's got a very nice group of players. Um, you know, Lloyd Pierce, I've talked about him before in my podcast. Very good coach, a lot of experience. This team's looking to win and make the, make the jump um, to contention in the Eastern Conference. And they may have to go through the Orlando Magic to do so. Um, but they have a very nice group of guys with some proven shooters on this team. Trey Young, Rajon Rondo. Um, you know, Chris Dunn is there as well. And so they got some really nice pieces on this team. And for Golinari, Bogdanovich, Rondo, these three guys are going to bring a lot of experience and valuable uh, lessons to Trey Young. And Trey Young had a nice game as well. He's just going to have to keep on rising up as a shooter, playing better on defense. I think Rondo will be able to help his defense out a lot more. People realize. So the Atlanta Hawks are in a good spot. Let's see what happens when the real games get going. But it's promising to see Atlanta get off to a good start. These guys have to develop winning habits. And Lloyd Pierce, with his coaching, his abilities, Atlanta is primed to make a run at the Eastern Conference this year, at least a playoff spot. And they have to hope that Trey Young continues to excel and elevate his game um, all around you know, for the upcoming NBA season.